You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you oughta, because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmar, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom, come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team, we'll talk about your least favorite team, and everybody in between, and we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the number one rated sportsbook app out there. Get on it today and put all your money down on the Avalanche, baby, because the Avs are going deep into the playoffs. That's my prediction. I'm Nathan Rudolph, joined as always by AJ Hayfley. And on today's show, as we have a little bit of downtime before we even know officially who the Avs are playing, in round number two, we are answering some listener questions all over the board today, whether it be uh, pertinent to this Avs playoff run or, or things on a little bit of a broader scale. We have a little bit of everything. First question. I, I, I am telling you right now. I So Rudo picked the questions, right? Um, but I, I am not giving you the full lineup for the end of 2021. I, I did not pick that question with, <laughs> to be clear. with the expansion draft in mind with my full list of trades and signings for the organization. Yeah, that's uh, I refuse to answer that question. That's about a week's worth of podcasts on the off season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think I'm going to, you think I'm going to blow that podcast now? No, sir. <laughs> we will be doing that one in good time. You're yep. just going to have to wait. The most pertinent, question and we touched on this a little bit but we can dive into it a little bit more on this show Vladimir Mesnikov um, yeah. don't really know exactly where his health is at because it's the bubble and that's the way things go but let's be honest if we were there in practice every single day uh, we still wouldn't know the only difference is we might see if he's on the ice in a non-contact jersey or not Which, and that would be yeah, that would be something like we would have some kind of like, oh, like he's he's at least close. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, but yeah, the, with this day to day with Bednar leaning on his day to day and what his version of day to day is versus literally the rest of the human least. existence <laughs> could mean literally uh, anything. <laughs> yeah. Right. We may not see Vlad Domestikov ever again at that point. So. That's the problem number one, is we have no idea where he's at in terms to actually coming back into a hockey game. But yeah. if he is capable of coming back, I mean, this Avs team just beat the Coyotes 7-1 to twice in a row. Do you mess with that lineup? That's how the Coyotes felt. Yeah, I, you know, maybe. Ask again um, when he's healthy and they've played a bunch of I, games against it, other teams. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm my actual, uh, I would say no, but I, I want to see who they play. Yeah, certainly um, depending on the matchup, there are certain things where he's going to fit in better, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that like, Dallas, I would probably let it go. I would I would let this lineup go. Uh if it's, so if it's Dallas, I would be eh, I'm good. If it's St. Louis, I'm probably more inclined to put him back in the lineup. And if it's Vancouver, I definitely want him in the lineup. Yeah, I was gonna say I, Vancouver for sure he's in, I think. Yeah. You just pound as much offense as you can get in there against Vancouver, I think. And yeah, well, and, and I want, 
the one the one like feather in his cap that he's got over Tyson Jost for sure is the speed element. Yep. He's a much better skater. And if you have a third line, uh you 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 drop th- him in there next to Comfer and Donskoy or Comfer and Nichushkin, as the case probably would be. That's a really, really high-end skating third line. Uh, and we saw we saw Colorado struggle a little bit with the way that Vancouver wanted to fly the zone against them the last time. And if they were to be putting that kind of pressure on the defense, I would want as many forwards who can get back quickly have as the possible. Wheels for sure. Yeah. And he's he's such a he's such a smart player that uh, the combination of him being able to read the play and obviously physically just move faster than Tyson Jost would be would be intriguing. Um I've I've said I said it a little bit the other day. I I would still think that uh Donskoy might might be on my personal like maybe if you were if you wanted to put Nemesnikov back in the lineup it might be with him. But the the I would also like to clarify that no indictment of Donskoy. I don't think he's played poorly. I don't think that um, the Avs need to be in a rush to get him out of the lineup. I just, you know, yeah. And and you could honestly, you could have the Nachushkin conversation because Nemesnikov is a good defensive forward. He's not elite, but he is good, and he represents obviously much better offensive upside than Nuke. Yeah, I. There is no doubt in my mind on paper there are three or four dudes you could sit and Nemesnikov would be better. But when you're getting into the result the Az are producing on the ice, it's tough to change anything right now. Yeah, well, and this was the forward core. They walked into the season and said, okay, well, we really like these guys. And they only got like a handful of games with them. Yeah, it was something like – it was less than like 15 games with a full healthy lineup. So – and that without Nemesnikov. Um so the yeah. abs, it's not like the abs are uncomfortable without him in the lineup. Put it that way. For sure, it just kind of sucks because it's like he was such a good fit, and he was he was proving like to be a really nice fit and really nice. The extra offensive punch was nice uh, yep. from that bottom from that bottom six. And when you have when you have a guy like Nachushkin, especially who. Uh, I think was the only forward to not score point in that series. Um, I think they took a point away from him because he was, I know he had one at some point, but um, if I remember correctly, he's, he is officially pointless in this postseason. That's a, you know, you're going on. Yeah. He and Ian Cole are the only ads without points Yep, through eight games. Um, he has to be Mark Stone esque defensively uh, yeah, to, to justify happen, that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I don't know that he's been that good. I think he's been good, but there have been some games, especially at, towards the end of that series, where it was like he's just okay. Yeah, it is what it is. So now I've I've worked my way all the way around to saying if they're going to put Nemesnikov into the lineup, it should be for Nichushkin. So there you go. The the final conclusion, yeah. we've picked a player that. Well, I guess no matter who we picked, someone was going to be mad about it. <laughs> I, you know, I really don't know how somebody could be really upset about Nachuskin for right now. He's like, not he been just that good in the playoffs. He, I agree with you, but yeah, he just hasn't been. And like, I talked about it after the after game five. His best offensive contribution was standing in front of Darcy Kemper. Yeah. Like, and like. You still you still resign him like this isn't uh this isn't an indictment of what you know the future of him on the abs or anything like that. It's just, just that maybe you resign him for a couple hundred k less than you were. <laughs> the reality is is that you have six bona fide NHL defensemen, two bona fide NHL goaltenders, and thirteen bona fide NHL forwards. Some guys are going to have, they're, they're not going to, some good players are going to have to sit out. The squeeze is on. Yeah. So. It's, it's really more like nine bona fide NHL defensemen. <laughs> yeah. That's with Byram and Timmons back there and, yeah. and whoever else you want to throw in the mix. Uh, 
We can move on to the next question. This one comes from Cygnus. Do teams really adjust their game plans for a particular opponent? Teams watch film to prepare, obviously, but do they really make large changes in the way they play? Uh, I think the Game 5 power play from the Abs is a perfect example of of a significant change that gets made throughout a a seven-game series where the Abs found a weakness and just pounded it against Arizona. Hammered away at that thing. Yep. Hammered away. Um, I I would say that like like major structural changes. No, of that, course not. Right. You're always gonna stick at least relatively to your team's identity. Yeah. Right. Like you you build a system. <laughs> like you are who you are. Right. But you're not you're not um, you're not going out of your way to do anything crazy. Um, I will, I will say that, yeah, they do make, they make meaningful changes. Like, it's not like, it's, it's a lot more of like what you saw San Jose do to Colorado last year, where if there's something very specific that you're trying to stop, uh, then you might, you might defend a certain way. Like anything it's it's all it's almost pattern recognition as much as anything if you see oh yeah, a team a does, does this over and over and over you do something to prevent that specific thing and it's not going to change the entire game but you know something's coming you try and stop it and that's where you start getting into a coaching chess master of okay they figured out what we're doing they're trying to stop it how do we make an adjustment to take advantage of them playing mm-hmm. that hand and it's just minor adjustment against minor adjustment repeatedly. Yeah. And some of that is in the form of X's and O's, and some of that is in the form of personnel. Yep. Uh, you know, like we saw Colorado's uh, lineup change in the in, from game one to game five. Yep. You know, they went back to the three-headed monster. Uh, Nachushkin was not getting it done in the top six. That necessitated a change. Uh, Burakovsky started on the third line and played his third yeah whatever (laughs) right um and and played his way played his way up and you know because he had such a slow start so you're some of it is like reading your own lineup Mm -hmm. you know because the hot hand things nothing arizona did nothing arizona did really changed how Colorado wanted to do it. It was Colorado's own players that were dictating that. But when you're dominating the series in a way that they did, you're, you know, it's a little different. Yeah. It's, it's a complex thing. And and we've talked about this many times in the past where Bednar is not a huge guy on, on line matching. He likes to go best on best a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but you can see some adjustments there as well, particularly when it comes to home and away home team gets last change you can look for more advantages, more not odd man rushes, but imbalanced matchups. I suppose. Yeah. He, he hunts those situations yep. very much um, with, you know, things like putting Gerard and McCarr out there for an offensive zone face off, yep. uh, you know, teams. It's especially true after uh, against a team like Arizona, where they have uh, limited limited talent and they've got guys on both special teams units. So uh, when they would get done with the PK, some of their best players would have to get off the ice. OEL is off the ice time to hit him with the first line. Yeah. And right. And so it was like Nathan McKinnon, even if it's not necessarily the first line, Nathan McKinnon is out there, you know, hunting, hunting a third pairing that, I think would not otherwise be out there. Yes, you see that especially when the Avs are trailing. Bednar will just throw McKinnon out there with anyone at any time. Yeah, he'll try and get his best players out there. Yeah, well, when when, when McKinnon's hot. Yeah, like when McKinnon, we've seen when McKinnon has been playing really well and his line mates have been struggling. He'll join. He'll 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 get thrown out there next to, you know, next to 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 Jost and whoever's on that line. Uh, he'll get he'll get thrown out there you know, 20 seconds ahead of Belmar for a fourth line shift just to see if you can catch fire because he's just, he's so explosive and he's so game changing that when he's running well, you're like the, the upside of having him out there is just too good. You got to at least give it a whirl. So, uh, yep. 
in the live chat, a question from Breck 10. Yeah. Have you guys seen any change in the coaching staff and how they go about their business in the playoffs? Honestly, I don't think there's that much of a change. Bednar proved pretty handily last season that he knows how to manage his team in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what what go how they go about their business in the playoffs. It was in reference to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure just what's being looked for here. Uh but in terms of their ability to say out coach the other team, I mean I think we're a couple series into it now. Bednar has I liked his coach. I like the coaching job he did against San Jose last year. Obviously, they did things that were downright awful to both Arizona and Calgary. I mean, Bednar has won as many playoff series as he's lost now. He's two and two in the playoff series. So it after starting out zero and one. And his first appearance and, and gave a Nashville team that was significantly better. Yeah. They wasn't a free series for them. So yeah, that was definitely a, a one eight series where you were like, that was friskier than it should have been. Yep. That, uh, that abs team, especially talent wise, that abs team really was out, was outmatched that year. And this is, I mean, I feel like that's a question. Looking at this coaching staff is hard until they get a couple more years under their belt because before this year, there were no expectations on this team. This team yeah. has yet to underperform since in, the, the worst in, year in team history in sixteen seventeen. Definitely. Um, I would also say in that way because coaching staffs don't get very many years. Yep. Um, in that way, they've elevated what they've done because – there's, I would say that there's a there's a decent chance all these assistant contracts get renewed moving forward. Yeah, I wouldn't be and surprised at all. Both Pratt and uh, Bennett are back next year, and in subsequent years, I think that's the most likely outcome. Yep. Um, and to be honest with you, like the those are the those are like the special teams guys. Um, they're fine, like. Even, even the biggest hater of all of all of their special teams units. I mean, the PK was like thirteenth. The power play was like eighteenth or nineteenth. Like, well, and they've been straight money in the playoffs so far. So yeah, and they, you know, like the power play struggled in the postseason last year, um, but it was good during the regular season. Blah blah. Anyway, the point is, is that at their worst, these units are still fine. They've always just been fine. They go through good run, good stretches and bad stretches like everybody's units, but um, Pratt especially, I think, will stick around because we're seeing the work that he does with the young defensemen. Yep, um, they've Some really come a little bit, yeah. yeah. And then with Timmins and Byram coming, um, you know, Pratt was also out there in. Uh, he came from um, Lake Erie in Columbus, where he helped some of those guys. Um, you know, Zach Wierenski, no, notably, uh, helped them help helped him out early in his career. So the guy, the guy does really good work with young defenders, and so you know, I think I think that guy will definitely be back. Pratt um, Bennett, I would probably keep around as well. But I mean, look, if their power play keeps looking like it did against Arizona, yeah, I mean. <laughs> We're going to have a 30% power play. I, sure. I, I mean, it's not about the number production. I'm saying if it looks good, like it did against Arizona, because I, it the power the whole play, bubble. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that's, like that. that's the power play I've been asking for for a long, long time, is what the Avs power play looked like in this bubble so far. But either way, we can take our first period break there, as it is time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. If you want to get it down at the DNVR bar every single day with eight different versions on tap or of course you can always get it delivered with the drizzly app or pick up at your local liquor store and maybe the best place to get it directly from the source down at the farmhouse in littleton you can call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m to schedule a pickup and use code dnvr to save five dollars whether it be your avalanche amber agave wheat colorado core strawberry sky any number of other ones if you're looking for a specific one you can go to their website and use their beer locator to find it 
Of course, we also have WGT Golf, our official gaming partner as well, with more than 20 million players around the world. It's the number one golf app out there. You can play true-to-life courses like Pebble Beach, Bethpage Black, many others as well. Compete in tournaments with DNVR. Head on over to dnvrgolf.com to download and search for DNVR3 to jump on into our clubhouse and get in with not quite 700 members yet, but well over 600 now, I believe. So we're pushing right along and we'll have DNBR4 soon enough. Try to push for that 1,000 mark. Have 1,000 man tournaments up in WGT Golf. Third period of the D, third, second period. I forgot how to count. It's been a Thursday. Second period of the DNBR Avalanche podcast presented by yeah. DraftKings Sportsbook. <laughs> how did, uh, how'd your car make it? It, it made it. It took a while. They had to, uh, like, specifically go. So they were, I my back passenger window broke. And the one window that they thought they had that they could replace it with, that they were, like, picking from uh, a junkyard, had damage. So they had to go and find another one. Oh, no. And thankfully, they found one, but it took a hot minute. <laughs> but well, I'm glad I got taken care of. Me too. I know you were praying for no rain for yeah, a few days I, there. I, I made it about a week without rain. So apologies to all the fires in Colorado. It can rain on you now. We're good. Yeah, <laughs> he will. He will allow it. <laughs> My car window, obviously more important than hundreds of thousands of acres of land. Duh. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> um, obviously, hope all all is well. I know some people let watch are close to the fires. Hope everyone's doing well with all of that stuff. Hope you're safe. But sticking to questions on a more positive note, our girl Steph asks, favorite moments of the playoffs so far, most fun and most mind-blowingly impressive. Um, I'll throw the Kale McCarr goal out there because while it was a, the game was over, it's always fun to watch someone straight style on a hockey team by themselves. Yeah, that was a pretty, that, I mean, that was pretty impressive similarly didn't help his team go anywhere, but uh, McDavid's hat trick game, the second goal of that was just absolute filth stupid, but the backhand that up over yeah. his shoulder. Yep. Short side. After he like knocked the puck down twice in midair on the way through the neutral zone and burning everyone. Was so nasty. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. AJ, any, any specific ones? I guess the carry price save was pretty crazy too. Um, y'all with the stick. Yeah. Yeah. That was something else, man. <laughs> Which I don't know that I've ever seen a save like that. That was probably so... wouldn't have gone in the net anyway. Cause Suzuki was right there, but yeah, still... it, it might've killed the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, boy, I think, um, it's hard not to be a homer on this just because their performance as a team against Arizona was so dominant. 14 goals in two games. I mean, back-to-back Brazil's is crazy. Yep. Uh, somebody, somebody had sent us a tweet, uh, Sportsnet put out yep. uh, that the last time a team had scored seven goals in back-to-back games in, in the playoffs was games two and three of the 2012 conference quarterfinals, Philly against Pittsburgh. But if I recall, they'd all, they also gave up a, a ton of goals in those games. Um, it wins the last time a team was, won by six twice in a row. This was, this was just like beat down Boulevard. Like it was just, a. that's a great it, name. It Ethan was on Boulevard. I love that. It's a it's it's one of the Jake Peralta songs that he sings in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Okay, there you go. I I don't um, watch Nine Nine. Sorry, fam. yeah. Oh, it's, it's all good. Uh, I have a. Um, I I bought it's it's really it's really hard not to pick what Colorado did to Arizona as the most impressive thing. Um, if the Islanders finish off Washington, I think what they've done would be pretty impressive because at that point, I think they would be seven and two against Washington and Florida. 
Um, yeah. And I just, I, I have been very surprised at how quickly they've been able to pick up and resume what they do um, with such a tight defensive game and for them to just drop right into it and get right back to it. I thought it was going to be, I thought, thought these playoffs were going to be a lot looser for another couple of weeks. I thought rounds two and three, we were really going to see teams start to really lock it down. And that happened like halfway through round one. Yeah. Uh, the Av series, kind of the outlier there by game three, most of these other series were, were pretty tight. One goalish games, nothing easy coming for any. Yeah. Vancouver, St. Louis and Dallas and Calgary have both kind of just kept on going like yep. tons of tons of teams uh just <laughs> yeah. you know lots of, lots and lots of goals every game That's... and not none of this like 2-1 stuff and the canadians so i've always i've always liked the canadians uh more than a lot of other people um i wasn't buying stock in them coming into this because I just Carey Price just he was just okay, and then now Carey Price is back to being amazing again. I mean, and that's what you said from the start. It's like not buying that team, but if Carey Price shows up, then who knows? Right. Um. They've they've been more miserable. They've been more miserable to play against than I expected. But I'm not really surprised so much by them. Um. They're really really well coached. So that's their success is never doesn't really catch me off guard too much for the record that 2012 series between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia Flyers won game two, eight to five. They won game three, eight to four and then game four Pittsburgh won 10 to three. Okay. So I do remember that series correctly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite absolute insanity, yeah, just nonsense on both sides of that puck going on there a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but either way, moving on more questions as we've answered like three questions so far. Yeah. Um, uh, if you were an NHL caliber player, realistically, where in the lineup would you be? Uh, well, I would never be an NHL caliber player. I'll be honest about that. <laughs> You know, just based on how I played um, back in high school, I would just, I would probably be at best a second pairing defender, Um, but certainly like Tyson Berry would have been the perfect because I, I mean, I modeled everything that I did after Santos Ozilinch. I was a hyper aggressive attacking defender and we when we play nhl you see that because i just like go i'm like i'm out of here um so it's a good thing that we decided to make me a wing because it was causing us problems um well i I, yeah it turns out defensive d was my calling too (laughs) we need to figure out time to play that this week yeah um we'll get it this weekend we'll get yeah um yeah, at best, I would be on a second pairing. I would, but I would definitely be on a power play. If if we ignore my NHL skill level and look at my the my play style as an athlete through my life, my play style screams quadruple A version of Alex Kerfoot because I was always a pass first type player in in every team sport that I played and. Mm-hmm. At the NHL level, I just wouldn't be able to make passes. The the gaps would close too quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is assuming that we would be, like, any good. Yeah, right. Um, this is making a really monstrous leap here. Um, but I, yeah, I I was always, I've always been hyper-aggressive in, in my play style. Which is funny because, like, I play when I like when I play games and stuff like I'm I play more defensive oriented characters, but I play them really aggressively. So throw the, throw the mix up at them. Got it. I don't know how that works, but I don't know. All right. Next question from Meeks. Who are the three teams remaining who you think pose the biggest issue to the Avs Cup run? How do the Avs beat them and how do they lose? Well, first of all, it's the playoffs and anyone can lose to anyone. Yeah. especially now that we're past the first round. 
Well, and and we've seen even in even in the bubble, um, injuries are defining yep. series. You know, Backstrom for Washington, Kachuk for Calgary, Shifley for Winnipeg. I mean, you're talking Shifley and Line for Winnipeg. You're talking major injuries have taken place that have helped shape these series. Yep. Uh, so I think uh, as as long as not 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 assuming injuries play a role into this. Um, I would say Vegas, Tampa yeah. Bay. A third would probably be St. Louis. I uh, really, I'd, I'd, I'd even say Boston maybe is the third. Well, one. and that's, I just think that this is the year that Tampa gets through Boston. I, I'd so this is all right. So here's how the Eastern Conference works I buy into a team year after year after year, and then when I give up on them, they finally win the cup. That's just how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I look I was I was all in on Boston last year and I'm all in on Tampa Bay this year out of the east. Fair enough. I I both of those teams scare me more than anyone in the west but Vegas, for sure. Uh yeah, Vegas I think there's a low key chance Colorado would smash Vegas. I do think there's that possibility, but I also think if there was a team that could blow Colorado out, it could be Vegas too. I think that yep. series could go either way. I think that's fair. So, the how you beat them? Uh, stay healthy, play good hockey. I don't the know. only I would say of the the teams that they're getting ready to face in round two, uh, I would say the only one that has that dynamic element that could be scary if they really catch fire is Vancouver. I mean, Markstrom would just have to play unconscious, basically, yeah. right, for that to happen. I mean, he would have to be—he would have to be outstanding, and their power play would have to continue humming along like it has, being just ridiculous. That those two things would have to work together. Yep. And they're both—they're both two things that could definitely, definitely happen. Um, so I'm—I won't be upset if St. Louis does the thing against Vancouver. Um, but I'm I'm not really sitting around worrying too much. Yeah. I about any of the teams out west. I'm Colorado Colorado's largely going to succeed or fail, especially in round two, whoever they play, uh, based on themselves. Yep. I think they're they're the more talented group. One hundred they hold their own destiny for sure. I agree with that. Um next question, last question of period two here from Avalangelist. Is that the most dominating series the Avs have ever had? The Coyote series that they just finished. If not, which one? I mean, there were so many series. Like, look, I'm not, I'm not the historian for this. This would be one where AD would be better suited uh, because he lived through all those. He he would remember all those better than anybody. I'm I you know all the series back in the Sackick Forsberg days. I don't remember. I mean, the, I don't remember enough of them to really be able to tell you. The series that jumped out to my mind right away was the 96 Cup Finals where the Evs swept Florida. Yes, I understand yeah. the games were close. And, uh, you know, it is what it is there. But you have to understand the era as well. They're in the dead puck era where teams just don't score as many goals. And they still had a game where they dropped eight on Florida. Yeah, well, between that and uh, really the first three first three games of the series, like they weren't. Yeah, it, that we watched those games, man. They were not that close. Right, the score didn't they were reflect. they were okay, um, but it was not a Cup Finals until the fourth game. It was. It's not what you would want out of a Cup Finals, where similar that was, stylistically, right? Where they're like, "Okay, Van Beesbrook, please save us." Yeah. So and, I. I would, I would, that's a, that's a decent one. Um, I'm just looking through the ads had a sweep of Vancouver in the, uh, Oh, one conference quarters. And that's it. Those are the only two series sweeps in avalanche history. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't, um, maybe I would say probably um, because it's, it was a that they dominated that series so badly. <laughs> <laughs> it top three, we'll put it that way to say the yeah. least. 
I mean, even even when when you absolutely like thoroughly thoroughly dominate the game that you even lose in the series, it's like, come on, yeah, hard to argue with that. So, yeah. Either way, uh, it's up there. Definitely a very very dominant series. Also, the only time the Avs have played an eleven seed in the playoffs. So, you know, give and take a little bit there, but. We can take our second period break with that. And of course, got to talk about our favorite Strava Craft coffee. The CBD coffee does really change lives, which you can now get cold brew at the DNVR bar if you want to give it a try. Once you order it, once you like it, you can go to StravaCraftCoffee.com and order with code DNVR to get 20% off and sign up for their subscription service where you can get 20% off every single time you buy. So jump on Strava Craft Coffee while you can, while it's still cheap, and give it a try today. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Our next question comes from Sloppy Doc. I know focus is on here and now in the playoffs, but how are we feeling about the prospect bottom six pool? Abs let Morrison, Shirev, Kamenev, and likely Greer go. I don't know that they'll let Greer go for sure, but will they continue to just find depth and free agency? Uh, in the immediate, they have replacements ready to go. They have Martin Kaut. They have Shane Bowers. It's not a big issue. Um, Logan O'Connor. Logan O'Connor is the 13th forward, very likely next year. Uh, they have replacements there. This coming season, there's likely to be a bit of a dearth of, of prospects in the AHL, but we talked about get through next year and all of a sudden the abs are going to be flooded with prospects, particularly forward prospects that are probably fighting for a third line esque role. Yeah. When you talk about some of the prospects that are coming, you look at, uh, you look at Ranta and Bocage as the only two that you would say, Hey, if these guys absolutely really max out, yeah. um, these are, these, and obviously New Hook. Like, these are the guys yeah. who could be top six guys. New Hook's kind of in a league of his own on the fourth. Yeah, definitely. Um, Bocage, but Bocage, I think, has... If you're looking if you're looking for a career for, for Alex Bocage to mimic, I would say it's probably Jamie McGinn. Yeah, um, middle six-ish goal scorer. Yeah, a guy, that can, a guy that can just shoot for you and needs to learn how to play the game beyond that. Yep. Needs to learn, needs to develop a game outside of that. Um, you know, Ranta, Ranta and Mutala and Kovalenko, all those guys are going to have to learn how to be bottom six guys. Yep. And that's one thing where I, I really love how Kovalenko's KHL career has gone is because he plays that grinder role already in Russia. He's not afraid and, to do bottom six stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and he was doing a lot of the dirty work for when he was still uh age eligible in WJCs and things. So he was all he's all he's already been that guy. He's gonna be that guy whenever he wants to come to the NHL. Um he will be a ready made drag and drop bottom six player for them. Yep. That's so I would say honestly, the outlook for the Avs prospect forward core is 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 positive. Yeah, very, very good. positive right now. Especially because they're going to have to draft a forward in the first round, <laughs> as we've seen. <laughs> as much as we desperately want to take yeah. the the Avs that don't doesn't look like they're going to be able to do it. So, yeah, I I think they're pretty darn comfortable, even if next year is a little bit of a lull in the minor pro leagues. Yeah, the the Eagles um, will probably be a lot more. I mean, they will probably they will one hundred percent be that heavy. Yep. Next year they will not be as very. There will not be very many must see prospects there. So, and I mean, we'll see. Maybe maybe the end result of that is is Shane Bowers gets to go be the one C star down there. Who knows? But yeah, the question the question will be. How committed does is Colorado to? Uh, how committed are they to letting those guys take those jobs? Because yeah. if they let Matt, Nieto, Matt Nieto walk and then they go out and they sign, I, I don't know, I a Matt Nieto from a different team, but some then, dude for around two million dollars, <laughs> right? Um, the Vlad Domestikov leaves in free agency and they sign a different Vlad Domestikov type that they like. 
that they want to bring in. Like that you're losing spots there for Cout. You're losing, you know, Bowers. Yep. Even O'Connor gets pushed out and all these things. So it's they 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 need to kind of either leave those spots open for the kids to take those jobs and they need to commit to it. Or those guys are going to end up back in the Eagles waiting for an injury and then they get called up and it's like, okay, these guys clearly belong. Now what do you do? You know, and there's something to be said for depth, but at some point they kind of need to, they kind of need to just give the job over when a guy, when you feel like a guy has earned it. I'm like, we've talked about it. Like Cout, Cout should have a job. Pretty, pretty. Given, given the way that they've acted with this contract and how the, uh, they've been so far with him over in Europe, look, I he's think, earned I it. Think, he's earned it, and they've set himself to to have a role next year. It would feel like a left hand turn if he didn't have a job next season. What changed, basically? So that's where I'm at with it. Um. It, We've talked about this a lot this season, where eventually you have to lean into the prospects because the cap is coming. They have to pay people eventually. And if you're not going to lean into it next season, you know, how can it? How I guess the counterpoint is if you're going to go out and sign a Nieto type, there's no way you're getting that guy in a one year deal, right? That dude's going to want security. Well, I mean, you look at years. Calvert took three years. Como took three years. Belmar took two years. Yep. These guys, those guys, unless they are reclamation projects a la Nachushkin, they're not getting a one-year one deal. deal. And the Avs just straight up should not be chasing reclamation projects anymore. So. Yeah, that should be that should have ended with Nachushkin. Yep. Just so. because they don't the same the, the all the reasons we didn't like the signing last year, like with it just being, they've got so many guys that they can give that job to same things apply. Yep. For sure. Uh, next question comes from Annalisa. We have a couple ones going a bit wider here. Uh, again, might not be the right historians for these questions, but we'll do our best. Is the cadre for Barry Kerfoot trade? One of the top trades the abs have ever completed. Uh, so obviously number one, I mean, if you want to limit it to abs history, only number one is the Patrick Waugh trade. Uh, if you're not limiting it, obviously the Lindros trade is, is essentially what won the Avs two Stanley Cups. Um, I mean, yeah, let's limit it to Avs history. So obviously Patrick Waugh and Matt Duchesne deals are high-end. Mm-hmm. The Duchesne deal is still a little bit more potential than reality. Um, but just based off of what they have so far has been a yeah. good trade. Yeah, definitely. A, certainly a good trade. Yep. So if, if Sam Gerard is the only player they get out of that deal, it's still a good trade. Yep. Um, let's see. You know, the Steve Connor-Walchuk trade was a good one. Chris Stewart um, trade kind of ended up being good in certain ways. Yeah, the EJ deal. I think, I think the EJ deal was weird because... When we're trying to talk about like a good trade, is it did it work out for the Avs or is it did they win the deal? Because the Ryan O'Reilly trade worked out just fine for Colorado. Yep. It wasn't the smashing success that we were hoping it would be. But JT Comfort and Nikita Zadorov are good Avs players on their best team in a long time. Is Ryan O'Reilly still the best player from that deal? Yeah. But that was a guy that they were going to either lose for free or lose the way that they did. They got something and like, look at, look at the deals he's been involved in. Would you rather have the deal that Colorado made or the deal that Buffalo made? Yeah, that Buffalo one is rough, man. So what Colorado did, the like Colorado did fine in the O'Reilly deal. I think that's a good trade. Um, I still think that's a fine trade for them. They, they at least break even in that. Rob Blake, um, I suppose, probably up there as well. Which one? Rob Blake. Yeah, you have to feel fine about the Rob Blake deal. It's like you have to feel fine about the Ray Bork deal. Yep. Because none of none of the guys from either one of those deals, the best player that they gave up in either of those deals was Adam Deadmarsh, and his career unfortunately got cut short due to injury. So it wasn't like it wasn't like something major went the other way in any of those deals. The Avs really didn't hurt 
in those deals. You know, that's what the the Theo Flurry trade would have been great. Yeah, had they given up, you know, had they given up Martin Scula instead of Robin Regeer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's uh that's the way it goes though. And and the reality of this, and we can combine this with our next question a little bit as as we're drifting towards this anyway, where Steve's as Steve asks, is this the great Avs team or the greatest Avs team? Anytime you make a trade for Ray Bork, for Rob Blake, for Patrick Waugh, those guys went on to win cups with this team. Yeah. The Nazem Kadri trade, ask we'll again at the end of this contract. If the Avs have a cup, it's going to be up there. Yeah. If they have two cups, they have three cups, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, whatever it ends up being, like, we'll we'll judge it when it's over. Yeah. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't think it has to be, like, a good trade just because the Avs, like, were runaway winners. As, as long as it helps the Avs do something, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where the EJ trade is kind of interesting because neither team ended up getting what they bo- – I would say both teams, both teams got what they wanted in that Colorado got their number one defenseman. They got the second – they got a first-round pick. Um, the, the Blues ended up with the power forward and Chris Stewart they wanted – and they definitely got the puck-moving defender that they really wanted for that era in Kevin Shattenkirk, but they didn't do anything with it. Neither team won anything with any of those guys, and so it was kind of like both teams would probably re- would remake the trade. The only major change that would happen is the Avs would take somebody else at 11 with that pick. Yeah, <laughs> well, and at the time of the trade, a lot of people considered Chris Stewart to be the best piece. Yeah. Of the whole, uh, a guy on pace to score thirty goals and and look to be a breakout offensive star and legitimate power forward ended up being. I mean, yeah, the first round pick was the worst part, but ended up. I'm, I guess Jay McClement was probably a less impactful NHL player from yeah. that point well, on. Well, and Ty Ratty didn't do anything. Yeah, that's true. Um, but Stewart, you know, had one decent season in St. Louis and then fell off a cliff. And then Shattenkirk and EJ kind of found their strides. So yeah, and they both like they both played the roles that the teams wanted very nicely. It was just that a uh, team accomplishment. Neither, neither one of them did much of anything. Yep. It's very true, but definitely, definitely one of the better, the better abs trades though, Kadri. Cause it's, I mean, the big downside was you're losing, you know, for a team, for, for a team that was trying to improve its secondary scoring, they lost a 59-point defenseman. They lost a 40-point forward when they were trying to get more of those forwards. Um, and so there was some sticker shock there. But knowing that they had Kel McCarr to replace Barry and that Kadri was replacing, really, Soderberg, not yeah. Perfoot. Yeah. Um, it, it was just too good of a fit. It's why you and I were over the moon about it, even though the sticker shock was probably... I remember being a little disappointed when I first saw it because it was like both of them and then Callie Rosen in return. And it was like, how good is Callie Rosen? All that. But just with Kadri, it's fine. Yep. Yep. I agree. You can't complain about any, any from a Colorado perspective, you just can't complain about that deal. Yeah, yep. exactly what they wanted. Um, as far as the team as a whole, impossible to rate it any higher than three until they win a cup, obviously. Uh, yeah. Well, and like, and like, we're talking the, the 98 and 99 teams lost in game seven of the conference finals. And you're talking about teams with four or five hall of famer locks on. them. Yeah. Uh, the 2002 abs were one win away from the cup finals. Yep. Like I, I think, that was the year. I th- I think that was the Western Conference finals against Detroit. I'm not. I'm, nah. Like I said, not the right historians for this. But there there were some really 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 good ABS teams, and this team still has uh, an awful lot to prove in order to join that pantheon. Are they capable? Right, right, right. Now they're a team in the second round waiting for an opponent. Yeah. So, are they capable? I think they're capable, but they have to do it at the end of the day. You know, it, if this team were to drop out of the second round and everyone were to retire today, no one's making the Hall of Fame. No one is has cemented themselves in an NHL legend. The closest would be McKinnon. Yeah. And he still has his whole prime to go. So, yeah. 
I believe yeah. this team can get better over the next couple of years. We'll put it that way. This, I mean, if you were comparing this to old Avs teams, this is closer to the 95-96 team. 100% agree with that. I, if you're talking about not results and on paper, I think there's a good argument this team is better than the 95-96 team, uh, particularly the defense. Yeah. But, but not having Patrick Waugh is a really, yeah, really... Like, kind of a massive hole. <laughs> really represents like the one thing that we're all still kind of watching. Like We didn't have to talk about the goaltending in the first round because they didn't have to do much. But... When you have play multiple games where your goalie has to make less than 20 saves, I mean. Yeah. It's I mean. Just, they got the job done, but they didn't have to try so hard. Um, yeah. Last question, and this is hardly even a question. AJ, final best offer. Colorado Avalanche to Taylor Hall. Oh, God. You want to do this at the end when we yep. don't have time to like let this breathe and actually have a conversation about it? Well, we can have a conversation about um, it. If you want. Okay. So first of all, all of the people dismissing it out of hand, I think you guys are crazy. It, um, let the recency bias die. It's a five-game sample size. Against a super overmatched team. Yep. Like who's Taylor, who does Taylor Hall have playing center for him? Like, yep. I mean, come on, man. And it's, like, not, I'm, it's not even Nick Schmaltz. Like, like it. you drop that guy next to either one, Kadri or, or McKinnon, and it's like the lineup gets supercharged. Yep. It just, it just does. And you're going to be in, you're going to be in a cap crunch no matter what in a couple of years. You might as well be the absolute best team you can be while, while being in that crunch. Um, my i i would i i will take the chance on a on a multi-year deal into into his 30s yep. um i'm i'm typically the i'm tip, historically i'm pretty careful about wanting to pick spots but that's the kind of guy that i would do it for i would have done it for panarin last year do it for that guy um I I would give him a five year deal at eight million per, and that would be my hard line. I wouldn't give him six, and I won't give him I won't give him eight oh oh one. I like I love the five years. I think five years is perfect. Yeah, I think I'd probably go a little bit more, like eight and a half, nine. But you know, we're splitting hairs there. Yeah, um, I mean, I just you could you could. So here's the thing. The big the big drawback with Taylor Hall is is he injury prone? Are his injuries going to catch up with him in his thirties? And we've seen yeah. team after team after team, not name the Avalanche, abuse the LTIR system with guys like this, and essentially just get out of that cap hit in a lot of ways by using Robita Island or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And you can't load up too much you can't go full toronto like they did this year with it where they were like having to juggle 17 plates at once to stay under the cap but if you're gonna take a shot on one guy it would be taylor hall for me to take that risk with yeah and like this is this is the thing is that i'm not making this big foray this big money play into free agency no matter what it's taylor hall like i'm Right. I'm making I'm making the play for Taylor Hall because he's an elite play driver who has never played has has never played any kind of sustained time again with with a real center uh, with a with a high end center and if you don't get Taylor Hall there's a very realistic option that the best thing the Avs can do is essentially nothing in free agency. Definitely I would Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think that's exactly what my free agency plan would be. I, I, there would be other things I would look into. I mean, I you got to do your due diligence for sure. I would look into one or two year deals on guys like Mikhail Granlund. Um, but that's it. Like that's. Yeah. It, you're you're talking about. There's a very real downside to to got those conversations if you do that. Dude. Whereas the downside with Taylor Hall, I don't think. I don't I don't think I don't see any like a bottoming out. Even in even in Arizona, he was he was pushing a point per game with nobody with very little help around yeah. him. The the reality of the abs 
when they're making free agency moves based on where they are now, the question they should be asking is, does this move win us a Stanley Cup? And obviously you can never answer that question 100%. You can't answer it definitively, but you can sure say, holy smokes. Yeah, exactly. There's a big difference in how strongly you feel about that when you're getting Taylor Hall as opposed to random middling free agent man. Yeah. Especially because it's not like it's they don't have the Toronto problem, which is always cited as the reason not to do it. Because they aren't they aren't a horrifically unbalanced roster. Yep. They have a good defense. And then they have for the guys that are gonna either age or price themselves out, they have good replacements already ready to go on defense. They're they're there. They're in that spot. That's the only reason why we're even having this conversation. He would make them better. Um, he would certainly make them Certainly up very, until the very, very contract very, yeah. should be more than manageable. Yep. You should be like, you can do it. You can do it. Yep. Um, it's just, you would have to, you would have to go short term on other dudes like Burakovsky and Graves, which I'm okay with doing anyway. And I think probably is the likeliest um, answer. Yeah. So I was or likeliest outcome is that they end up doing short term on those guys anyway. It's it's still uh, because they have to me, but yeah. they have to dance around the Macar contract until they get an answer. I and that's the other thing about Taylor Hall is that I don't do a single thing until I get a definitive answer yeah. from Kale McCarr, yes or no, you're gonna sign an extension this summer and Gabe Landeskog. You have if to neither that. if neither of those guys sign, I probably don't even mess with Taylor Hall at all because I'm I would be too worried about it. You have to at least know where you stand with your own players for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. Those are the two most important contracts for them this off season. And if they don't have answers to any, to either of them, um, it's really hard for them to make any kind of a big money commitment. They could make a three or $4 million commitment somewhere to somebody, but they couldn't make an $8 million multi-year commitment to, to a guy. Um, if, if they have no idea what Landis Cog and McCarr are going to be, on the books for. So I would definitely want a Landis Cog extension in place before free agency starts. And then, or at least like a solid idea of what that deal is. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, we wouldn't be privy to, but you know, it would be nice if they had an idea when it comes to hall. I think the Landis Cog deal is more important, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, the McCarr deal is basically back the dump truck up if he wants it. Yeah. And, and I think you're probably, this is just, my guess here is that it's going to land in between the Miko deal and the Shabbat deal. Shabbat will be the starting point because it's it's the highest defenseman deal. Yeah, but Rantanen, it's it would be hard to pay more for than Rantanen when Rantanen had back to back eighty point seasons on his freaking ELC. Yep, agreed. So, and for. <laughs> For the season that Rantanen had, and all, and even these playoffs where a lot of people talking about his struggles, he's still a point per game player, even when yep. everyone's like he's not playing that well. So yeah. he's not worth nine million dollars, but he's still somehow a point per game guy. <laughs> There's so. something to be said for a guy that even when he doesn't look like he's playing well, continues to find a way to produce. Yep, you just you just can't, in my opinion, you just can't overpay for production like that. Agreed. Like you can whine about process and oh, this guy doesn't actually drive play. There is no, there is no projection here. These dudes are in the NHL. This is as good as it gets. If you're producing here, you're producing here. <laughs> it's just, it's the the point is to score points. Mm-hmm. It's to score goals and have guys who make that happen. And with Miko Rantanen, it just it happens. That's it's not always pretty, but the guy the guy just produces, and that's so insanely valuable in a league full of like Brock McGinn types, where it's like that guy is like this close to being really, really, really good. So, <laughs> all right, well, I suppose it's it's about time to wrap up the show as we hit the hour mark just about here. So, if you're on a hot date and you want to produce the goods in the bedroom. Manscaped has you covered. You know what? 
even if you don't do the best manscaping job, the effort will get you a point per game. We'll put it that way. How about that? The lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, clean it up, make it look as good as you can. They'll get you covered in the bedroom. Of course, you can always buy all of their other products as well. You know, you're going on the hot date in the first place. They got your breath mints. They got your cologne. They will make sure you smell nice. They'll make sure you look nice. They'll make sure you are covered top to bottom. You can get shave mats if you want to shave your beard as well. You can get all sorts of products to keep you clean, fresh, all over your body. So head on over to manscaped.com and use code DNVR20 to get 20% off and free shipping. That's it for us today. Thank you all for all of your questions. Always much appreciated. We will be back tomorrow with Free Skate Friday, messing around, having some fun games, maybe looking around at the playoffs so far. But until then, hope you all have a wonderful Thursday, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow.